to another episode of No Easy Answers in Bioethics, the podcast from the Center for Ethics and Humanities in the Life Sciences at the Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Today's guests are Dr. Guobin Chang, Adjunct Associate Professor with the Center for Ethics and Associate Professor at Southeast University in China, and Center Director and Professor Dr. Tom Tomlinson. Freshly back in East Lansing from the annual meeting of the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities held in Kansas City, Missouri, they sat down together to discuss differences and similarities observed in American and Chinese bioethics. Based in part on work they presented at the ASBH meeting, they discussed specific case examples as they relate to patient autonomy, family and individual identity, and the patient's right to know or right not to know diagnosis and prognosis. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Tom Tomlinson. I'm the director of the Center for Ethics and Humanities and the Life Sciences at Michigan State University. Uh, and today we're uh, joined by Dr. Guo Binchin um, from Southeast University. Guo Bin, say a few things about yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm Guo Binchin. I'm the director of the Department of Medical Humanities, Southeast University, Nanjing, China. It's my pleasure to join you, and we can discuss some, something about medical ethics. Yes. Yeah. So, so Guo Bin was a visiting professor with us uh, for a year, um, from 2015, uh, March 2015 to March 2016. And on frequent occasions during that year, he and I would sit down and just talk, um, and talk about our clinical experiences, because... Uh, of course, he is trained as a physician and has a number of clinical experiences himself in that role. And I've been involved uh, in clinical ethics consultation with some of the hospitals um, near Michigan State University. So we both had experiences of various kinds, and we would then compare notes with one another. Uh, and that's kind of what we're going to do today. Um, this is based in part on a um, panel that he and I did at the recent meetings of the American Society for Bioethics and Humanities in Kansas City. So, Gwobin, why don't you start with, um, say something about that case of Mrs. Wan. Okay, uh, let's begin with this case. Uh, this is a real case as I was a surgery resident. So, Mi Mrs. Wan is my patient. She is a 17-year-old <coughs> woman and with uh, advised colon cancer. So the case will start with an interview between us. And uh, one year before the interview, um, she got an operation to, re uh, to remove the tumor. But uh, as usual, the doctor and his family member didn't tell her tell her the truth about her diagnosis and prognosis. So um, usually in China, when a patient got a diagnosis of cancer, the doctor will turn to the family member and will not tell truth about that to the patient themselves. But this is a problem. So in this case, uh, before uh, Mr. Yuan came to my office, is to get some recommendation about uh, uh, new surgery because he got some other disease. But uh, because she don't know, she 
already have an advanced cancer. And uh, the doctor and uh, her family members thought, okay, you have an advanced cancer, so maybe you cannot live very long, and the new surgery maybe do not uh, give her much more benefit. So they think... Right. But they didn't say that to her. Yeah, because they didn't tell her the truth at, mm-hmm. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I think is this is the common problem. The Chinese doctor and uh, especially the Chinese doctor have to face because if you don't tell patient the truth, so when the patient wants to make some a new decision, mm-hmm. they cannot uh, make the right one. Mm-hmm. But uh, the dilemma is why should the doctor tell them all the things? So why didn't so why didn't the family want to tell her? Yeah, actually, the family members think the bad news maybe do some damage to the patient's mental health mm-hmm. or other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most common reason is they believe the very, very bad news will destroy the people's, the patient's hope mm-hmm. to fighting with the disease. Yeah, yeah. right. So, um, you know, I think that there are sim- there's similar kind of thinking in the U.S. often. Uh, there is a lot of concern about whether or not patients will lose hope, uh, especially patients with a, some advanced metastatic cancer, for example, will lose hope if they're told, that, they may be told their diagnosis, um, but there's often some reluctance to tell them what their prognosis is about how much longer they have to live uh, because of a concern that um, if you do that, they will lose hope and their last months will then be much more distressing um, than they could have been if you had kept that from them. So, you know, remember we talked a little about, about a situation um, I described of a, of a lady who had most metastatic ovarian cancer, um, had gone through numerous treatments that produced only very temporary remissions, was in a phase three clinical trial. Um, she remained optimistic, um, uh, thinking that so long as she was a fighter, uh, she was going to beat the disease. And her oncologist had not spoken directly to her about her prognosis, and she'd shown little interest, actually, and never asked him about it. But her husband and children approached him, um, asking that he not tell her because they are worried that she would, in fact, just be decimated um, if she were to find out. And he agreed, so long as they understood that if she asked him directly, he would have to tell her the truth. But if she didn't ask, um, he wasn't going to tell. So that that seemed to me like a situation that's not uncommon in the U.S., but it's kind of like... Um, the case that that you just just described. So, I think we could find that uh, the reason at least looks very similar between the U.S. and China. Mm-hmm. So I think we can find some questions in this situation. Uh, the fir- uh, first one is 
does the patient themselves want to know everything, even the very, very bad prognosis? I have little worry about that. So um, for my experience, I find some patients actually they did not want to know everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe she, maybe they want to know the pro, uh, diagnosis, mm-hmm. but I think I think it's a little hard for the doctor and the families to, to tell them you only have yeah you only have one month to live. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that's. Uh, there are any surveys about uh, how the patient's wishes about uh, so that? So, you know, there, so in the U.S., there, if when you survey patients or the general public about whether they want to know these things, the great majority say yes, that they want to know everything uh, about their illness, including the prognosis, including bad news. On the other hand, one of the other things that they tend to say is that they want to be asked first. So there is a bit of a, um, a tension there, which because what that suggests is that they might want to be able to say no. They might want to be able to shield themselves from the news. But what's significant about it is they want to have control of, of whether or not they're going to get that, that news or not. And that's then produced this practice that I think was reflected in the case that I described, where the recommendation is before you share bad news, you have to basically get permission from the patient. So there's this idea that patients have a right not to know in the U.S. And so that ends up then producing a uh, situation where patients aren't told that is similar to the situation in China, although maybe the origins of it or the reasons for it are different. So I will focus on a point that in U.S., the patient has the right to know or not to know, okay? Mm-hmm. So, but in China, the situation is a little different because um, most of the family members and the doctor, I have to say they did not very concerned about the patients' individual rights. Uh, they pay more attention on the, some kinds of patients' best interest. So the logic is they, uh, they believe the bad news will damage to the patients. Mm-hmm. And so to keep the patients' best interest, we will keep secret from them. And it's a right. right. So the patients' right, individual right to be informed is out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Picture. Right. Sorry. <laughs> right. Okay. Another thing is, uh, please let me go back to a little. What the meaning of everything? Well, what is so, the meaning of everything? Yeah. <laughs> what the meaning <laughs> of everything? It, uh, should it be include the diagnosis? Of course. But when we talk about the prognosis, I think mm. does everything mean you have to tell? Tell them you will be die one month late, or just to give him uh, some different option of the end. Yeah. You maybe have a chance to die one month late, and you maybe have chance to live a little more longer. Mm-hmm. So, what's the meaning of everything? 
Well, I think so. This so so one way to to put the question is, um, what kind of information do I have an obligation yes, to give yeah, the patient? Yeah. Um, I have an obligation to provide the diagnosis, but how much of an obligation or what kind of obligation do I have to give the prognosis? And I think the answer to that question may connect up with another difference. Um, I think in the U.S., it's going to be the patient, so long as they're competent, it's going to be the patient who's going to be making decisions about what treatments they get. They'll have to give their permission for a surgery, for example, uh, or their permission to uh, enter a, a, another research trial um, you know, to see whether the, the, this new treatment might help them or not. It won't be the family that's asked. And so if it's the patient who's going to be making decisions about their treatment, then the information that's even more important than the diagnosis is the prognosis. Because if the, for example, if the patient really understands that even with treatment, they may not live very long, they, will have a, they may have a very different attitude toward getting further treatment. They may decide, you know what, I'd rather feel better and not suffer the effects of my chemotherapy and have my last months more comfortable. Uh, that's what I prefer. So if it's the patient, so that's what the concern is about the patients not knowing in the U.S., not knowing that they have a, a terminal limited prognosis is that they can't really exercise their individual autonomy about whether to be treated or not. But is it different in China? Yeah, I think the Chinese doctor and the family members maybe pay more attention on the, uh, also on the patient's the best interest. Okay, mm -hmm. let, let me use this word, okay? And uh, so they're really not very caring about uh, individual autonomy. Usually, people used to negatively assess the patient's reaction of the bad news, and uh, also negatively assess the patient's capability to make decisions when they are old and very sick. So they didn't, they didn't think the patient would be able to take the news? Yeah. Or, uh, or make good decisions? Yeah, so, so th the second reason is about the capability. Mm -hmm. So that gave the doctor and uh, the family <clears throat> members uh, excuse to make me think, okay, I keep the secret because the patients themselves don't have the capability to do that decision making. So mm. I'm okay. not just uh, ignore the autonomy. I didn't give him the information because they can't use this information to make decisions. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, because I have an excuse, I, I, uh, yeah. I, I have an excuse now for not asking the patient because I assume that the patient is not able to make their decisions. If I didn't assume that, if I assumed that the patient was able to make decisions, then it would be a much more um, difficult decision to take that power away from the patient than it is if I assume the patient can't decide well, then someone else has to decide, and that someone else should be the patient. I mean, it should be the family and the doctor. Yeah, yeah. You relate the Chinese doctor and the families will assume that the patient didn't have, have the capability. Yeah. And uh, so if we go to the hospital on the real context, clinical context, we yeah. will find if the patient is really strong willing and uh, 
they always be in charge of the family before he go to the hospital. He can express their own idea very clearly and strongly and ask strong the doctor and the patients to do something to inform the themselves mm-hmm. the diagnosis they will get they will get the news okay so the so the very so it depends depends on the patients yeah, so but we uh, <laughs> okay sorry but we will not put the autonomy on the first level we have to make an assessment of the patient's situation and to find out why the the code got mm-hmm. that capability. Mm-hmm. Right. So so in China, the very assertive patient, the patient who demands yeah. to be told, uh, is probably going to be accommodated. Come. Uh, you know, the, people will then, okay, so the patient will make decisions. But I want to go back to this this idea that the 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 assumption that supports the family taking on this role is the assumption that the elderly patient or the patient who's who is very sick with a with a bad prognosis isn't able to exercise their right of autonomy suggests that the difference maybe the difference between the US and China is not so much whether the individual person has a right of autonomy. It's a, the difference is the assumption about the fact. So the assumption in China is that patients of, who are in certain situations don't have the capacity to make the decision. Not that they don't have a right of autonomy, but they don't have a capacity. Where in the US, it tends to be the reverse. And if that's true, then we should remember in the, in the US side that it wasn't all that long ago, not until in, into the 1970s, where it was a very common practice in the U.S. not to tell the uh, patient with cancer even their diagnosis for fear that they would not be able to take it and to turn to the family instead to give them decision-making authority. And the reasons that supported that um, historically in the West are very similar. Uh, I think, to the reasons in China. Okay, uh, I think the situation in China is also changed mm. as the last uh, decades, years. And more and more patients, the doctors and the family members uh, accept uh, the concepts of the individual's right to be informed and uh, the patient's rights, such kind of the concepts. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some survey to show um, more than 16% the patients want to know everything, even the bad news. But uh, actually in the clinical practice, I think the percentage is only no more than 40%. Okay, okay. The patient cold got the news. So uh, I think I should give some tips to the autonomy. Actually, I, I, I don't think Chinese did not accept the idea of autonomy. As you said, they just focus on the fact. Mm-hmm. Why the, the patient can use their autonomy to make a good decision. So they actually put more attention on the outcome of the decision. So I don't know why that. My understanding is right. 
So uh, I think in US, if the patient has the competence to make decision, we have the system uh, make sure the patient has the capability to do that. Mm -hmm. So whether any kinds of the decision they made, we will accept that. Yes. But in China, a little different. We have to make an assessment of the decision itself. If, it, uh, if the decision is a good one, yeah. depends on some uh, shared value, we will say, okay. If it's, a if, if it's a decision that we agree with. Yeah, right. yes, <laughs> that's okay. But uh, if the decision is a bad one, <laughs> we will <laughs> consider it. Does the patient have the capability? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, okay. So, um, so you know, in the U.S., the legal, uh, some, the legal presumption is that every adult has the ability to make decisions for themselves. So if we have concerns about a particular patient in the hospital, say, um, and we're thinking, well, maybe we should, you know, should, should we be looking to this person, to the patient to make decisions, or should we ask the family or someone else to make decisions for them? The very first thing we have to do is to evaluate their capacity. So there's an assumption that the patient has the capacity, and now it's our responsibility to show that they don't. And it's only after we've shown that they don't that from a legal point of view, it's okay for us not to ask them any longer, but to ask family or ask somebody that they may have appointed to represent them or whatever it might happen to be. So there, there's much stronger protection legally, I think, for the patient's autonomy perhaps in the U.S. On the other hand, we are most concerned about whether the patient has capacity if they are making decisions we think are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so if the patient's making a decision that everybody around them thinks is a bad decision to make, we will be looking much more carefully at their capacity than we would otherwise. If they're agreeing with us, well, they're fine. <laughs> we're not going to dig any deeper. It's when they're disagreeing with us that we get alarmed and we begin to look more closely because we want to make sure that if they're going to make a bad decision, it's their bad decision, <laughs> and it will be their responsibility, and they'll have to bear the consequences. Because one of the ideas behind autonomy is that I have the freedom to make bad choices, and then it's my responsibility if that's what happens. So I think, actually, the situation in both sides is much more similar than I think, mm. than I thought, okay. Uh, okay, on the one hand is a patient's individual autonomy to make any decisions they want to make. On the other hand, is, uh, there are always some others will be assessed the decision is good or bad. So I think the difference, uh, the difference is, uh, how can I say, uh, when the patients make a bad decision, the families, the family's right to, to join the decision making, the fam family member's role they played in the decision making is a little different. Mm. I think the Chinese family member play much more stronger role in the process, but in US, mm -hmm. sometimes that may be out of the picture. 
pictures. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. But uh, the whole logic uh, is much more simpler. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if we have to find some difference, I think uh, uh, actually even the Chinese people more and more accept the idea of the individual, individual's right, and uh, the individual's freedom, and uh, we also affect by the very traditional idea about. Uh, the person live first as a part of the family. The first level identity of a, of the patient is he or she was a member of a whole family. Mm-hmm. Was, was shaped by a family. That, that that they were that they grew up within a family. They were shaped by their yeah, by their family. family. They for those reasons have obligations to their family. Yeah, and not just to themselves. Yeah, so she, she falls in my case, she uh, uh, she should not to do something absolutely different from her family members' wishes. Mm-hmm. We even thought the patient have the duty to not not to against the family's wishes. But but uh, but if the conflict is very strict. So such as uh, in in my case, Mr. Yuan want to do a extra operation to remove a new small tumor mm-hmm. to release her some um, suffering, and uh, the family members think that is a bad decision. But after a home meeting, when she when the family member understand why she want to do that operation, is because. She believe the suffering is much bad than the than prolong the prolonging her life mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the world is is little difficult is a frequent urination. The patient, yes, yes, so she, she, yeah, had, yeah. she had she had urinary incontinence. Yeah, yes. she she couldn't control her urination yeah. because uh, of uh, this other tumor. And as I remember the case, the situation from the family's point of view was that no, there's not really any point in doing this because they knew that she had this terminal illness. But the patient, they didn't really appreciate how much how much distress this caused the patient if she this urinary incontinence, and that's why she wanted the surgery. Yeah, she said the situation destroyed her identity. As a, pe- mm. as a person. As a person. Yeah. Right. But your Euro- dignity. Yeah, yeah. But usually the, the family members did not cons- consideration about, considerate about that. They focus on a physical benefit. Mm. They mm. focus on how long they will live, and uh, they, f- they focus on the, some other things mm. we call the, uh, subjective. The other subject, or yeah, the other ah, subject, yeah, the yeah, logical, yeah, 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 rather than the physical. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. after the meeting, when the family members know Mr. Yuan is how to understand his situation, how to how much she want to protect her own identity, mm-hmm. she understand. The they understand her decision, right, and uh, they ex- uh, receive the operation. At last, yeah, they agreed. Yeah. They agreed, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, well, so um, actually, um, Gobin and I have another case that we discussed at ASBH that um, was a comparison between China and the U.S. with respect to the patient's desire to make decisions not just for themselves, but also for their family. I don't know if we, we don't have time to talk about, uh, about all the cases, but I'll just uh, maybe conclude by saying, and I'll ask you to make comments too, that, you know, I think, Gobin, that in this conversation we just had about this case, mm -hmm. things came out that hadn't come out before. <laughs> and that's been my experience in, in talking with you, is that we've talked about these cases many times, or different or related cases many times. And every time we talk, something new surfaces. It may be a new difference that we hadn't recognized before, maybe a new similarity. That we, that we didn't recognize before. And this is just evidence of how interesting and complicated yeah. these kinds of comparisons are going to be. Yeah, actually, I made some notes about this discussion. But uh, when we began, I always <laughs> drive all the notes. And uh, <laughs> we always can find something new we can discuss. Yeah. And uh, uh, I think people from different cultures want to understand each other. We have some different approach. We can just from the theoretical ones, we can find some terms that can describe how different we are. Very simple. Yeah, and, uh, at, the, at, yeah. The, at a very abstract level. Yes, uh, for example, the Americans is individualism, and Chinese is familyism or collectivism, yeah. such like that. And uh, another approach, is we can go into the real world to fight the facts, yeah. how to infect uh, the clinical decision-making or clinical behaviors. Yeah, if we get down to the closer to the ground and not so high up, if yeah. we get down closer to the ground, then I think we can have much more informative um, conversations that help us get beyond uh, stereotypes, yeah. cultural stereotypes. Yeah. Well, so this has been, you know, this is why it was such a pleasure to have you with us uh, for that year. Um, and uh, I know I look forward to our continuing conversations and collaboration. Of course. It's my hope. It's also my pleasure to do that. And I also hope I can, we can find more opportunity to enroll more and more people join us to make this uh, discussion more, how can I say? Yeah, richer, broader. Yeah, yeah I hope broader. so too. I'm yeah. sure we will. Yeah. So thanks a lot, Gwipin. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit us online at bioethics.msu.edu and follow us on Twitter at MSU Bioethics. This episode of No Easy Answers in Bioethics was produced and edited by Liz McDaniel.